Lord, you have the words of life. Please send your spirit among us that they might be life for us this morning. We love you and, and offer ourselves to you through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Well, it is, as I said last week, it is good to be back with you. This is a good place to be back to after a sabbatical. Um, I'm Mark DeCristina. There may be a few people here who um, are here since three months ago. Um, both Brooke and I are really appreciative of the support, the love, uh, the generosity of Church of the Apostles uh, to make this happen. Um, and so I say thank you very much to church, to Robert, to Vestry, to the staff. Um, I won't debrief the whole sabbatical. Parts of it will come up uh, over time, but um, I had a lot of time with Brooke, which was great, and a lot of time alone with Brooke and alone, which was also great. I, I really loved that. Had a month in Maine, which was wonderful. A lot of that time I did spend working on some courses that I took at Spring Hill College around the themes of spiritual direction, prayer, and discernment. Um, and I had my first week-long silent retreat. I've um, taken a lot of three-day silent retreats that have a lot of teaching in them, um, but this was like 30 minutes with a spiritual director once a day, and then 23 and a half hours with God and the scriptures, um, and it was great. So, have you ever seen a picture of Thomas Jefferson's Bible? Anybody? Check it out. It's interesting. There's actually, the, the, I mean, he had a number of these, and some of them are in some of the museums in D.C., um, they're cut-and-paste Bibles. If you, you see them, you'll see, like, sections literally with holes in them, in the pages where he cut things out. Um, I didn't know this, but toward the end of his life, when he was 77, he died at 83, he actually put a book together of uh, the verses that he wanted to share of Jesus. And this book he called The Life and Morals the Life and Morals of Jesus of Nazareth. And uh, in the introduction, I mean, he says baldly, I'm a Christian. Um, and what he meant by that, well, you'll see when I tell you what was in the book, what he meant by that. Uh, I, did, I, I didn't read the whole book, but I looked at the table of contents, which lifts the scriptures. And there's no birth narrative. Uh, there are no miracles. And there's no resurrection. So the last verse is Jesus on the cross, forgiving uh, and also saying it is finished. When I was a young follower of Christ, uh, there was a popular book that came out in 1975 uh, by a man named Juan Carlos Ortiz, and the book was called Disciple. And it really impacted me. It was very much a call, you know, to, to serving Jesus as Lord and, and being his disciple. And I remembered a part of that book this week working on this sermon 
where he suggests that many of us who, followers of Jesus um, actually have our own modern gospel. He, you know, he says it's like a fifth gospel. And that gospel is taken from all the verses we like. The verses here and there in the, in the four gospels. And we make a systematic theology, he says, from these verses while we forget the other verses that present the demands of Jesus Christ. Ouch. Uh, I think that's like in the first chapter. In the second chapter, he continues and says, I could perhaps say that the fifth gospel is composed of all the verses we have underlined. Interesting. If you want to read the gospel of the kingdom, he said, go back and read the verses you never underlined because that is the truth you lack. Of course, he's assuming there that we read our Bibles and engage our Bibles enough to actually mark them. The gospel today, the fourth in in, in this series of four readings from the long chapter six of John's gospel and all the readings around this uh, dispute and discussion and interaction Jesus had about himself being the bread of life, this is the last one. And that, hopefully you heard how it began when many of his disciples heard it, they said, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling, which is first a throwback to the previous section where there's this heightened thing going on where they question, then they grumble, then they dispute. And it's also, and that is a throwback to the people of Israel in the wilderness who what? Grumbled because they were hungry and scared. So, so when he heard that they were grumbling, he said to them, to his disciples, Do you take offense at this? Later in the passage, toward the end of what we heard, it says many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the twelve, do you want to go away as well? This is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? So the hard saying immediately that's being referred to is Jesus declaring that he is the true bread which came down from heaven to give life to the world. And unless you munch, literally, it's very graphic in the Greek, unless you Eat my flesh and drink my blood. You have no life in you. 
That's a hard saying, indeed. But there are many more hard sayings, aren't there? Just our scriptures today. Joshua saying to the people, no, you can't follow the Lord. He's jealous and he's going to get you if you serve other gods. Not get you, but it's harsher than that, right? Uh, what about wives submit to your husbands? What about husbands love your wives sacrificially, selflessly? What about, we also heard in that passage, don't get drunk with wine. What would, it, what would it be for you? What would you consider a hard saying? Like what, when I began down this road, was there, was there something that popped up in your heart or mind? Or just take a second to think about that. It's a hard saying. Who can listen to it? What about love your enemies? What about bless those who hate you? Pray for those who persecute you. Not only that, rejoice and be glad when they do. What about forgive? Or you won't be forgiven. What about don't be anxious? or fear not. I have several books on my shelves from a series called The Hard Sayings. There's two books, The Hard Sayings of the Old Testament, The Hard Sayings of Paul, and then The Hard Sayings of Jesus. And there's 70 hard sayings in there, which the author explains perfectly for everyone to understand. I think hard sayings fall into several sort of categories. There are sayings of Jesus or things in God's word that are hard to understand. They are, as we heard in the epistle reading, a mystery. I'm speaking to you about a mystery of Christ in the church and husbands and wives. It's a mystery. Um, There are sayings that are just plain hard to accept. Like, they're kind of, they're offensive, frankly. I mean, that's the word Jesus used. Are you offended? Are you, do you take offense? That's the word in the Greek that's literally the word scandal. Are you scandalized by this? Does this cause you to stumble? Do you have like, that's repugnant, I can't. And, and, and then there's the words that um, they, they, they actually may be in the second category as offensive. And they may even also be in the first category, hard to understand, but they are hard to obey, hard to follow. So hard to understand, hard to swallow, and hard to follow. Remember that the word listen or hear from a Jewish perspective doesn't mean just having good auditory capability. It, it means to understand. It means to embrace. It means to obey. 
Shema Israel, hear, O Israel. doesn't just mean hear this creed. It means obey, love the Lord with all that you are. So as I engaged this text this week, I um, asked myself, and I had to admit that there are um, lots of things that I stumble on with regard to the words of Jesus and the scriptures that actually cause offense. I mean, frankly, those words of Joshua, I find hard um, to swallow. That God is jealous and he will like, um, I, could, I could go over, go over lots, but how do I deal with that? How do you deal with that? And I think this is part of what God is inviting us to today. Um, I generally just ignore them. I kind of deal with them spiritually the way I deal with, you know, emotional and physical anxiety. I put on a good show and I feed my face. You know, I ignore and sort of deny. They become the unseen, not underlined, not thought about, cut out parts in my Bible. During my silent retreat, uh, God kind of took me to the woodshed and, and opened my eyes to some things that I knew cognitively about being a follower of Jesus and being conformed to his image. Um, but I, in some ways, didn't understand, definitely took offense, and wasn't able and willing to follow. And you know, I'll share more about it, I'm sure, over the next year, but a lot of it was just, frankly, about humility. A lot of it was about inner conversations I hold, grumbling. And I think offense or being scandalized is one short step from grumbling. And that's where we can get into big trouble, I think. So I think Jesus is inviting us today. He's here. We heard the gospel. We heard Jesus speaking to consider our relationship with him, our relationship with God, and our relationship with one another. This alone is good news because the implication is we can repent and return to the Lord. The invitation is, will you Keep following me with all your heart and soul and, and mind. It's an invitation to say with Peter, I believe, Lord. I trust you. I believe who you are. But I think, I think in some way or another, um, I, I, I want to call to my attention and to yours that maybe Jesus is asking some form of these questions every day, not just this morning. Do you take offense at this? Or where might you be stumbling? Do you, do you want to turn away too? Now this, is, this is pretty sober, right? Um, but I think, I think really what 
God is looking for is an honest response, an honest answer. Unlike Judas, who stood there and said, oh, yes, yes, I'm not scandalized. I'm going to follow you all the way. Of course, they all did, and they all turned away eventually. And Jesus kept loving them. But an honest response and ultimately a trusting response. Not understanding everything, not never being scandalized, but a willingness to trust and take the next step. I think he wants us to be honest to say, Jesus, I know that you know that I turned away from you several times today when I chose to say that to that person, when I chose to not stand up for you when I had the opportunity. Fill in the blank. We turn away from him a lot. To be clear, life with God is a growth process. We see that with the disciples. We see that all through the scriptures. We see that with the children of Israel. Sometimes there is a time for milk and there's a time for meat. You know, it is life with God. The the faith journey is a growth process. Clear about that. Clear about this. There's infinitely more that we will never understand than that we will understand about God and the things of God. It's not about that. And we will fail because of how hard it is to obey over and over. But will we trust him? Will we guard ourselves from grumbling? That is, that's deep discontent. That's holding a conversation inside yourself. Like, this is how, I don't like, how could God ever do this? I'm not, I. And we can believe that God knows and loves us you know, and will bring us along step by step in a way that we can uh, follow. We can say, I believe, help my unbelief. And we can, we can recognize that this journey is participatory. It's about a community. I'd never noticed until actually this morning that the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are in this passage. This is not like you need to buck up and you're all by yourself and you need to figure it out. No, Jesus is inviting us into community with him and the Father and the Spirit and community with each other in following him. Jesus said, none of you are here except for the fact that the Father brought you to me. He said the Spirit is life. So we need the Holy Spirit. We need the drawing power of the Father. And we need the words of life of Jesus Christ. Did you hear in that scandalous passage about husbands and wives, which I'm, as you've noticed, I'm avoiding this morning, um, 
but Paul pointing to the work of Jesus. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. Coming down from heaven, becoming the word made flesh, him in whom is the life of the world, John says in John 1, who came down to lay down his life to save us. To wash us with the water of the word that he might present us to himself in splendor, holy and blameless. The hard words are ultimately for life. They're ultimately for our splendor. That's pretty amazing. Do you take offense at this? Do you want to go away too? May we be able to say with, G, with Peter, one more step, I believe. I will follow you because we know that you are the Savior who came from heaven to give life to the world. Amen? Amen. Thanks be to God.